Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Silent Generation. We're going to be joined by our guest, David. Do I say hello now? <laughs> yeah, can All you right. just say like... Hi, this is David. Um, David is a really good guest because we're going to be talking today about the Fresh Coast, which is a term that can be used to boost the Midwest and associate it with water. And you work in a job that you envision leading you to working on getting more housing for the Great Lakes, correct? I work in like developing climate-related housing. Right now, all the projects are in the Southeast, but obviously, since I'm working in climate, I'm pretty obsessed with the future of housing. That puts me here. Yeah. You're from Tennessee, right? Yeah. Is that like considered part of the Southeast? Yes. It's a weird one because it's like the very peak crown jewel of the Delta, yeah. rather than the actual Southeast, which is a little bit more to the East. I can talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah, you're also a very good guest to have because you recently moved to Chicago, right? You've been here less than one year. I think so. This yeah. is your first winter. This is my first winter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big. So yeah, we can all talk about the region from our own perspectives because I grew up in Chicago. Joseph, you? Yeah, I grew up in Arizona and but majority in Las Vegas um, with a little bit of time in Germany as a kid as well. Um, so yeah, I'm also like an enthusiastic but longer term transplant. How long have you been here? Nine years. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's like 28, nine, and then less than a year. Yeah. So we can all give our perspectives about how we perceive the Midwest and mm -hmm. come together collectively to think about what the term fresh coast can do for the region to help it grow and bounce mm -hmm. back from its decline over the last few decades. Um, are, are we are we just talking about imaging or are we actually talking about the future also? We're talking about the future, like actual things yeah, happening. Yeah. Not so just not, not just campaign. like branding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you actually have the technical knowledge to think about how to rebuild the region. Mm -hmm. For me, this episode is coming from more of an aesthetic perspective. Um, so I guess I'll introduce the term Fresh Coast. So it originally was coined by a former mayor of Milwaukee, Tom Barrett, in order to spur commerce. And I was first introduced to the term by, <laughs> not to sound really um, elementary, but looking at a Wikipedia page on the idea of like coastal elites and then I found one on like the idea of the third coast and within it, there are two regions that are sort of proposed seriously as being the third coast. One is the Great Lakes. The other is the Gulf Coast. But I think that the Great Lakes are a much better candidate due to their population. The Gulf Coast has very few people mm -hmm. living around it, except for like southern Florida and then yeah, Naples. a lot of Texas. <laughs> but I mean, I remember there being a hurricane in like the last year, I believe, where it hit the panhandle of Florida at like a category four, and like seven people died, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which isn't the best metric to judge like, okay, how populated is a, that, yeah. is a region. But yeah, I don't think there just aren't enough people to take it that seriously. Although you've spent time in New Orleans, right? I lived there for like six years and there was a short uh, marketing burst. They called the Dirty Coast. The Dirty Coast? Yeah. So the opposite of the Fresh Coast. Why would they want to call themselves that? There's so much trashy marketing around New Orleans being gritty and uh, party city and all that stuff. I, I always hated that about, I mean, Las Vegas has a similar thing, yeah. but like any, not even just like citywide, like, oh, what happens in Vegas kind of stuff. But like you'd see it in the advertisements for like local businesses, like a yes. car dealership would lean into like the kind of sleazy Vegas. Institutional sleaziness. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And it was just yeah. like. It was just like a commonly referenced thing. It's like, oh, you know how it's uh, depraved here. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't really like that as a yeah. city, <laughs> I guess. Because that's what I like liked about coming here is that like the references to Chicago, like you'll see ads like 
big shoulders, big savings. <laughs> like you'll see more of like leaning on, I don't know, the Chicago wordplay is a lot more wholesome mm-hmm. than, um, you know, like your family doesn't know what you do here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. There's also Chicago land, which I think is like entirely made up and, but it's kind of just fun, mm-hmm. but it isn't taken as like a serious moniker for the region in most cases, but I do see it occasionally used by governments to like refer to the larger Chicago region. But yeah, I think governments will always say like the Chicago metropolitan area, which is a useful like, you know, that is metropolitan yeah. areas are a useful term as a reason like that we have them when we already have counties we already have all these other like more formal divisors. I don't know. I think that commercial areas are useful, but Chicago land feels like it's used by small businesses a lot, like serving yeah. throughout Chicago land, <laughs> like your best furniture reseller throughout Chicago land. Yeah, it's mostly something you see in commercials, especially mm-hmm. like commercials that have been rolling since the seventies or eighties and just won't stop. <laughs> Victory Auto Records and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but to circle back to the Dirty Coast thing really quick, that's like a crazy thing because like that just immediately makes me think of the BP oil spill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sad little ducks getting washed. Yeah. I've never been to the Gulf Coast. Is there are there still like after effects from the BP oil spill? I don't know if it's after effects or just constant because of industry that's still going on. You know about mm-hmm. the, the cancer rates if you live near New Orleans? No, I, I think didn't. it's basically the highest in the country. That little strip uh, south of Baton Rouge and north of New Orleans, you have like the highest incidence rates in the country because that's where like all of the refining state uh, nations are. It's it's. It's weird that it's not built up like Dubai, given the amount of of productive oil that happens there. But I went, we drove maybe 30 minutes out of town to a beach, like to the Gulf, me and like five other people. And we all left. Well, first, there were no birds chirping. There there were no (laughs) waves. Uh, There was also no wind. And we all left extremely greasy. Like actually, it was, it was, I think, just actual oil. It had made all the algae. I forget if it was like red or what, but... It's not a beautiful coast. There's no tourism industry there based on that. Ditto. Like that's why um, when storms hit there, the only economic loss is the refineries on the water that get hit or the drilling that's slightly off the coast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's never like condos have been demolished, you know, like in Florida. (laughs) In these like, yeah, rough industrial areas of the coast. Yeah. I've even heard from um, some friends that have that group in Houston that they have like one beach and it just looks like mud. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is crazy because here, you know, we have this giant lake, Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. and there's beaches all along the coast of Lake Michigan here in Chicago. And they look really nice. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it, I always feel like of two minds about like deindustrialization is like, you know, we mm-hmm. get more beautiful lake back to us. But it's also like those were jobs for people. But it's like yeah. they aren't coming back, so we might as well do something with it. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder what it was like to live back. I mean, anytime I see photos of like Chicago in the... I don't know, from like the 40s to the 60s, any of those photos, it's like you see beautiful old timey stuff, people all dressed up and like, you know, big cars and all that. But then it's also just like huge swaths of the city were just railroad yards and like, you know, light to heavy industry, like yeah. really close to nice things. Like, you know, people live in the loop nowadays. They didn't used to because um, also like the loop, not only was it largely business oriented, but it was also like industrial as yeah, well, too, yeah. like the whole rail yard that's now like shore east over yeah. there that's not a place you would want to wait be. let me confirm the point of this pod is like we only think of there being water left and right of the nation when really it's left right north and south yeah. uh okay and we're trying to figure out why don't we market ourselves as related to the water more well we're proposing that people use the term fresh coast more okay um but also i do think that the midwest in general 
there's different ways that we can make that association more prominent in people's mind because there's all these overlapping terms in regions like Midwest, Fresh Coast, Heartland, the Rust Belt, and there's different ways to address all of them. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to talk about this term. That's the goal of the And I think I also want to talk about like, I see just a really great future in the Great Lakes. Oh, yes. More so than the rest of that. I want to talk about like, this is going to be, I think we're going to be, if not culturally, at least quality of living wise, like a focus of America in the future, basically. Like there's a lot here that we can do with. And when we start talking about like other Rust Belt cities in Buffalo and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So the first thing I'm pretty fixated on is uh, other examples of when a city or a region used to be thought of as related to the water, as oriented in that direction, and then it kind of shifted. And so, like I said, I used to live in New Orleans. And back when the water trade was much stronger, New Orleans was one of the largest ports. It was thought of as just the northernmost part of the Gulf. It handled mm-hmm. all the all the trade for the Spanish-speaking countries down there. I'm thinking of Phil Zamuri's biography, the guy who started one of the biggest like banana trading companies and ended up throwing all those coups when he was still in his thirties. Oh, yeah. 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 Like he like just experienced a banana for the first time. Yes. And they're like, yeah, these don't travel very well, yeah. you know, but we love them down here. And he's like, mm, I think I can convince all of America. This yeah. is something you should have two or three of it. That's day. what he did. Um, <laughs> he like built a need and filled it. But he was based in new Orleans. And the whole reason was that he could oversee the coups quite efficiently from there. Mm-hmm. And then all the trade comes in through new Orleans and there's all these little ghosts in new Orleans of, it being thought of as again the crown jewel of that whole little Mediterranean of the of the North America, where like there's an abandoned stadium called the Pan American Stadium. There's a lot of little vestiges of like yeah, yeah. you don't see that kind of uh, pan uh-huh. anything. I, I'm always interested in like Pan Africanism yeah. and like it's kind of failed promises and like I don't know. I feel like we live in a post Pan Africanist yeah. world. And same with Pan American sentiment. Like that's such a trade oriented way. I mean I more think, to look at the world. The trade was literally pointed south and so was the culture oriented southwards i think something was similar in the great lakes area where we used to be more associated with the water when we used it more often for trade Mm -hmm. and then as that shifted because of containerization and rails and everything we started to think of ourselves as just kind of an appendage to the heartland yeah as the capital of the midwest yeah that's what i'll say sometimes um so yeah, Chicago was, you know, always going to exist, like with the Great Lakes watershed and the rivers and the Chicago River connecting these two things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they built all the rain, all the rail lines to converge here. And so when everything burnt down, it didn't really matter. <laughs> like it was yeah. going to be rebuilt anyway, like everything already ended up there. Maybe things, maybe it could have been rebuilt on a smaller scale or something. If the rail lines weren't there, who knows, who cares? But yeah, now Chicago with the, you know, decreasing importance of the lakes, like sees itself as like, oh, we're, you know, the crown of Illinois. We are actually like this power center for that. And we have a large economic catchment area. All these people drive in from halfway across to get to our jobs and get to our like economic prosperity. But we, we should not overly convey that we do not use the Great Lakes at all for economy right now. Yeah. I read that there's that main boosterism website for like the the entire system. And it's something like 6 trillion GDP. Uh, enabled by the lakes right now and only only like 50 bill of that is for tourism yeah. most of it is still for productive use mm. so it's not like we've just totally abandoned because of the rails and everything no, yeah it has yeah. less like visibility in yeah. people's lives like every so often like when i'm on a high-rise job i'll like, look out in the lake and i'll see a freighter I'm like oh cool yeah. <laughs> like but that that's as much as like great lakes yeah. industrial commerce crosses into my mind 
or I'll read about these like, oh, what are we going to do with this large chunk of former steel land that's on the lake mm -hmm. in the city limits? There's like absolutely nothing out there. There's these big dreams to redevelop it. Um, and I think that's really cool, but it's also like, you got to think really big because there's no jobs down there. Mm -hmm. Like you can build all the housing you want, but if like, what are the people going to do if they live there? Some, like Something yeah. I'm really fixated on is having just moved here and with my family all from the South, no one, no one knows how large the Great Lakes are. Yeah. <laughs> when I, when I described to them, I'm a walk to the beach. They're picturing basically sand next to a puddle. Um, <laughs> they cannot, like it just doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. It's like, an ocean. Like, do you show them pictures and then they're like, what is this? <laughs> well, it's like pictures yeah. of the Grand Canyon. It's yeah. like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't, yeah. You can't capture it. But even, even it like, not just pictures in person, I had people visit. Um, and still they thought someone briefly thought they were like next to a sea and they were just very like disoriented. Yeah. I mean, as a child growing up, I'd always refer to going to the beach as going to the ocean or the yeah. sea. Yeah. My mom would always be like, that's not, that's not the ocean. But another thing though is you're referring to like the robustness of the Chicago economy, which you mentioned in the docket, I think is due to the diversity of our economy. Mm -hmm. And I think that is definitely a benefit because like I've learned over the, the past few years, I guess the associated industry that every city seems to have, you know, like LA it's entertainment, Washington DC, it's politics, yep. uh, Boston, it's research. Each city has its own like specific yep. thing you have to go to if you want to do it. Chicago doesn't really have that um, besides maybe comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, besides um, improv comedy. and all. That. Yeah. I mean, I try to explain this to people who are from New York City or L.A. that like I don't have to move anywhere regardless of what I want to pursue. And mm -hmm. they're like, no, like if you're a model, you have to go to NYC. Yeah, my, It's like, no, low key, actually, <laughs> we have literally everything. Yeah. I My cousin lives in L.A. and I went down there and I was visiting him. He lives in he lived in Koreatown at the time and it was like really great and I was really enjoying it it was I was like okay LA is not so bad like yeah when I drive here like I want to kill myself but like some things at the street level aren't too bad it is a, uh, a city made of like smaller cities of neighborhoods and I asked him like well do you like LA like in an urban sense like he said I like it I've grown to like it but it doesn't matter yep. if I like it like I'm yeah. in music like what am I gonna do besides live here <laughs> uh maybe jump ahead a little bit sure yeah uh so you wanted to talk about messaging for a little bit, like, and we'll get back to that, but I do want to hit, cause you just brought up the diversity of the economy in the Great Lakes area. And yeah. it's still very real. Uh, one of the, I think the two drivers of like weird sci-fi predictions for this area, <laughs> one is just climate change, which is quite simple value prop where it's like, yeah, we're near water mm -hmm. and it's cold enough here. Yeah. The second is this concept called the paper belt. And I wish I could remember who coined it. It's pretty new. Think of the steel belt turning into the rust belt is basically that that region where we were over-indexed on a single thing, which was mm -hmm. factories that are like pretty simple, low-skill labor that we can then ship out to China and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then that just dissolves. And there's a massive population loss, loss of, you know, quality of life and everything like that. Apparently, some people think, and I also do, that the, the next like kind of collapse of an economic regime will be the paper belt, which is basically all the cities that are overly focused on email jobs on not just that, <laughs> but like economies that rely on fiat, which is basically value that comes from trust rather than mm -hmm. producing real things. Yeah. DC for laws, New York for financialization, and then the Ivy league belts for credentials. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing a lot of stirrings now where there's like, you know, the Ivy league embarrassments this year. I think the Musk moving away from Delaware corporation is a pretty big deal mm -hmm. for the same reason. And then there's, what are the other signs? Wait, Elon Musk? Yeah, so the Delaware recently ruled against his having like basically ownership rights to 
get a reimbursement package that he thought he had a right to, given shareholder votes. They used lawfare to fight against just like the natural legal right to do this thing. Yeah. Um, which is, and he's, I think, going to call their bluff and their right to use law. Basically yeah. call out that it is just fiat. And then he's going to probably recorporate in Texas or somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. And so as, anyway, as, as these industries kind of lose their uh, uh, trust or whatever, mm-hmm. um, there should be a big collapse in standard of living and how much money you can make in those industries. Mm-hmm. Chicago will stand way more robust because it's still like really freaking real. Yeah. So we weren't, we were diversified enough to survive rusting. Yeah. Deindustrialization. But we were not so built up in the trust economy that we're going to suffer in the coming paper belt collapse. We're exactly. like kind of skirting through the center. Yeah. I like that. I, I don't know. I'm very fascinated by like, like they call it ruins porn and stuff of like, you know, driving through Gary, Indiana and being like, oh my God, like this is the shell of a greater place. And it's, it's interesting, like in the heyday of Gary, like just being a person on the street, looking around, it would not have felt different from Chicago. Like this is a functioning place. You have a professional class. Yes, they all work for the same steel company. Mm-hmm. You have a professional class. So that's important. And they fund, you know, local small business owners and stuff. You have homeowners, you have schools, you have all this stuff. Like this is a well-functioning system. It looks like it. But it was a very fragile system. It was yeah. based on like in a single industry, always producing, always growing. And the second that that like main source stops, like the downstream effects instantly just everything collapses. And so, I don't know where I'm- yeah, I mean, something interesting about Gary, Indiana, is that their steel production facility is still producing as much steel as they did mm-hmm. when they hired, you know, five times as many people as they do now. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's largely due to um, automation. Yeah. But yeah, they're still producing steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always saddened by like, it's very easy to blame offshoring for a lot of things. Like, oh, we just shouldn't have done that. Like, mm-hmm. why did we, why did our government let our corporations, like and our corporations are made of citizens. Like, yeah. why did our government let our citizens take jobs from our citizens? You, know, you can kind of get caught up in that thinking, but it's also like none of that matters with the, like, you know, automization and stuff. Yeah. Uh, is this an urbanism podcast or are you just kind of an urbanism nerd? No, yeah. we look at this as being cultural analysis with a bit of an urbanist twist. Okay. Um, but no, I mean, you know, Joseph tends to want to do more fashion podcasts. <laughs> I do things that lean slightly more political. Yeah. I really like information. Okay. <laughs> it's related to urbanism and this depopulation of these Rust Belt cities. I didn't know until I was reading into it for this that a lot of the like quote unquote population loss was actually just suburbanization. Like, yeah. like Detroit is still, if you look at the MSA, pretty big. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. moved to Dearborn. Yeah. yeah, basically. Like, I know there was a great map of like where people commute in different states. And mm-hmm. it's very predictable for most states. Like, oh, everyone in the Chicago metropolitan area commutes into there. But Michigan is just this like go everywhere yeah. thing. of People just live in one suburb and they commute like a suburb or two over to another job. It's thinly spread throughout there. Like they really are more of a, like their state kind of makes sense. When it comes to like mm. the framing of a state, like Illinois doesn't always make sense. You think of how far detached people in Southern Illinois are from the rest of the economic apparatus of Northern Illinois. But yeah, Michigan is just like this big state where everyone just travels like one bit over to mm-hmm. get their job and then also have their single family home. Yeah. Yeah. On that, I recently sort of realized why Midwestern people meme themselves by saying that like, oh yeah, it's a 10 hour drive. Yeah, I'll just drive there instead of flying. <laughs> and I think it's because when you're on the coasts, like the actual coast, going from one side to the other takes forever. But when you're in the middle, 
it's more realistic to drive wherever you want to go. Yeah, you're not going through things. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, we should maybe get back to mm-hmm. the the term, the fresh coast. So I think that in order for this to successfully happen, the Midwest needs to sort of divorce itself um, into the fresh coast and then the Great Plains. Although you recommended heartlands, heart, the heartlands. Basically, you want to arrive at a term that separates those landlocked uh, agriculture places. Right. From the like water Mediterranean of the north type. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from my perspective, I think the Great Lakes states should be Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota and Ohio. Yeah. And then the Great Plains states should be Iowa, Missouri, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Montana, Wyoming and Colorado. Although like some people might want some of those Great Plains states to be absorbed into just the West Coast region mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah there mm-hmm. are, there are some places like st louis and pittsburgh which i associate being very similar to chicago and mm-hmm. having a lot of kinship with the great lakes that mm-hmm. we unfortunately would need to exclude under this definition but what are your thoughts on that i don't think we need to exclude them um i think i think one world is the heartland which is like i said all of those like if it if it plays in peora type places <laughs> and then the second world is the water based in any way yeah. There's this, I forget the guy's name, but the um, geographer from like the 50s who mapped out like in a sci-fi way, the Great Lakes Megalopolis. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and it included those cities that you said maybe we should nix. It included St. Louis and those places in Pennsylvania that relied on canals. Yeah. Because it's all this great arterial system, basically mm-hmm. just water highways. Yeah. yeah. They are a part of the water system. Yeah. Like <laughs> no matter how yeah. inland they are. But yeah, for listeners who don't know, a megalopolis is basically like a giant city that spans across multiple states or regions or provinces. Yeah. Um, List them out, will you? There's <laughs> no, I mean, there's yeah. like 10 or so, right, that will happen by 2050. There's the Southern Cali one. There's the Northern Cali one. There's Cascadia, which is like everything in the Yeah, know, Cascadia is like, that's like uh, Vancouver South. To All the like, way, yeah. Yeah, it's the Seattle. most soulless megalopolis. Yeah. <laughs> there is There is the... North Carolina one, which would be like Raleigh, Durham and Charlotte. There's the Texas Triangle. There is uh, just Florida. Like that's what yeah. it's called. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like Wobosh, like from Washington to what else? Baltimore, everything over there on the East Coast. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Yeah. The um, Northeast Corridor. Yeah. Yeah. Boswash Corridor. Yeah. It's interesting because even in these like, I mean, as we look at these places now, there still are places like in between these like larger, denser hubs of activity. There's places that yeah. feel pretty like not rural in any sense, but like they're still dead ish places yeah. in between. Like to use Florida, like, yeah. you know, in between uh, the Tamiami trail, it goes from Tampa to Miami. Like that is literally like, there is nothing inside that. Tra- There's like one gas station in the middle, you know, but the rest of it is like truly yeah. marshlands. Like, so no, one time I want to be a megalopolis if there's still chunks of like nature on the inside of it. I mean, I'm sure that there are like huts between Shenzhen and some other city <laughs> yeah. that's like yeah. you know, hundred miles away. I mean, in between Boston and New York city, there's like Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. yeah. But no, there can be gaps. It's mm-hmm. like, but when, when you forgot, I think it's the front range, which is yes. in like Colorado and yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I like the idea of megalopolises a lot. Um, but yeah, I think that like I've always resisted Chicago being called like a Midwestern city. Yes. Even though I, I will, it is. <laughs> but like it's always just been like it, it makes it sound lame and it drags it down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I was thinking about, you know, how do we associate all of these states with water? Some of them I was like, wait, Indiana. But then, no, I mean, 
think about like how little of a sliver of Indiana is along Lake Michigan and compared mm-hmm. to Chicago. It's like, no, if, if I want Illinois to do this, these other states can too. But some are easier than others. Like Michigan is a lot, lot easier because it has the longest coastline of any state yeah. in the entire country. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of like a cultural invisibility to this region. Yes. Like Chicago is known like, oh yeah, Al Capone, like the 90s Chicago Bulls, like yeah. all that stuff. Like, yeah, we have a cultural cachet, but it feels like the rest of the country is living kind of anonymously. Um, yeah. I liked watching the show uh, Joe Para Talks With You on Adult Swim. He's a comedian from Buffalo and he always struck me as very Midwestern. And I, that was like what put it into place that like, oh, Buffalo is more like, you know, the Midwest than it is like New York City, which I just I assumed it was the other way around. The other aspect on my mind about this general theme of like rebranding and boosterism is that as elites are more and more nomadic, they can work remotely. Corporation size yeah. is shrinking. So where you can start a business, most places framing, reframing this area, this megalopolis is on the coastline rather than associated with corn and wheat. Yeah. <laughs> it's way sexier. People will move yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we need the, the Great Plains or the Heartland yeah. States to be that because they are that. Ditto for like uh, actual practical political incentives where the heartland states uh, are always going to advocate for farmer subsidies and everything like that. But the megalopolis on the water will advocate for Great Lakes Compact interests, which is basically preserving water rights. Yeah. I mean, the farmers are advocating for like ethanol subsidies (laughs) and then we're advocating for like the cta to not collapse from lack of funds Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it it would feel very hard like get two people who want those two different things to like agree on anything they seem so yeah corn fuel trains yeah (laughs) Yeah. um yeah i was Hmm. maybe corn fuel trains Um, yeah but yeah it's but the heartland is also like they're more reliant and connected to big cities than they've ever been. It's one thing I was reading about, like they're more dependent on like selling these like grains and stuff on the international market. Uh, They need us more than ever. And we like still need food and (laughs) supplies in that way. So like, as we talk about political polarization and all that kind of stuff, like though maybe people culturally have diverged more between the heartland and the cities, like we need each other more than ever now. I am really curious. We can dig into this a bit more after we lay the groundwork more. But once we parse out what is the Great Lakes, what is the Heartland, what I'm curious what the cultural cachet is for each of these. I'm thinking of uh, the current French farmer protests. All the footage includes John Deere tractors, (laughs) (laughs) which kick so much ass like they're like blocking the streets of Paris. But it's still like the Heartland cultural cachet stepping in. Yeah, well, it's the, the cities belong to the world. Yeah. And the countryside belongs to their actual country. Yeah. You know, but there's something there's like a um. I think you told me about this, like how every this everywhere is the South now or mm. not. Who talked about this? That like anywhere rural is now culturally Southern. You know, if you're in like small town, upstate New York, people fly oh. Confederate flags. Yeah, like yeah, we talked about this. They're looking for symbols or looking for things to grab onto. Yeah. And if they can't like find it in their own local history, mm-hmm. they'll just borrow the local history of something that's more recognizable. I, My reasoning for that was more that the South was the last to homogenize culturally. Mm-hmm. And so the remaining rural tracks up north or in the west still like they, they need something to grasp onto. But I think it's shifting now because they're going to think that they're all from Yellowstone. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like I now see people in Tennessee thinking that they are whoever that character is. Uh, Sheridan. No, yes. so that's the guy who writes the that's show. Taylor, no, no, but he no, sounds no, like no. he could be a character in it. If your name yes. is Taylor Sheridan, yes. like, <laughs> it's a cowboy name. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I I need to actually sit down and like watch that show. I just want to know what the rest of America. That's an is entirely different doing. pod because like yeah. it's it's same as Succession where like you either it's watch one or the other yeah. and then you have no idea of the plot of the other. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's like big. It's like I got to get home and watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yellowstone>. yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah. But that's like we we had like an episode on cowboys and that's like. I don't know. Everyone's looking for a cultural symbol. And like, even if you're so far from anything ranching related yeah. at all, like if you're just, in. <laughs> maybe you should do a whole pod on stuff that allows, what do you call it? Emasculated fathers to watch stuff. <laughs> so like the mood, the taken series, <laughs> Yellowstone. Yeah. Uh, what is this like divorced dad core? Yes. I guess. Yeah. 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 Power no, in the Cowboys episode, we mostly just talked about gay cowboy movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's first that bubble, but no, that would be like worth exploring again. <laughs> But yeah, so to get to this idea of like, okay, we're not associated with water. One of my main things as to why I think the Midwest is not associated with water is because the Great Lakes are cut in half along maps with Mm -hmm. Canada. And there are many ways to represent the United States, but there's this idea of the logo map, which I first learned about from reading like an article by this author, uh, Daniel Imiwar. And he was sort of summarizing what he wrote in the book, How to Hide an Empire. And so we in America, we have a vast territory that spans across oceans, you know, from Hawaii to Guam to Puerto Rico. And we don't actually recognize those really because on maps, it's usually the lower 48 plus Hawaii and Alaska. And then if you get like a keychain with a depiction of the United States or like a T-shirt, that it's only the lower 48 because that's easy to conceptualize. It's like a logo for the country. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think when we look at all borders, you know, with Canada, with Mexico, along the oceans and along the Great Lakes, we just see that all as being like blank space. And so the lakes get sort of excluded because of that. Yeah. You posted this, um, this like infographic photo of all the like historic trade routes mm-hmm. on the Great Lakes. And that like, broke my brain for a second because it was showing the lakes as the main thing yeah. and then the land as like just a little border on the outside of yeah. it. I meant, to, <laughs> I meant to send you guys, I forgot to, um, medieval era or even earlier, I guess from Roman to medieval era, maps of the Mediterranean, the actual land mass is secondary and, and basically just hugging the rim of the map. Yeah. And the water yeah. itself is the main thing that you're depicting because that's the main mode of travel, of trade, everything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they didn't have like... GPS where they could zoom in. So they probably just needed to depict what was going on in the water a bit more. What is, why is it called logo? The logo map? Well, basically there are different reasons why Americans and U.S. officials might want to exclude U.S. territories from the map. One is because it acknowledges our colonial history, like the Philippines, for example, they were literally referred to as a colony of the U.S. And so Americans don't really want to think about that. And I think that's part of the reason. But it's also just like a conceptual thing. This is a bit, it's more like critical theory in a way. Like the author was trying to think like, why do we do this? And it's actually sort of, it's my original thought that like, or sorry, it's my original thought that the Great Lakes are not recognized for the rest of the country because of how they're depicted, Mm -hmm. being cut in half and then oftentimes not even represented. Um, That's my idea. And so (laughs) I just like read this guy's summary and like it, it stuck with me and I'm applying it to this week's episode. I, I feel that more strongly about the Gulf Coast than the this coast here, because all the Confederates, when they won, they wanted to colonize all of that rim 
like all of the Gulf Coast, like that side of Mexico, all of that like side. all the like the Caribbean, all of the Caribbean, everything like that, and that would be an empire based on the water. But we never yeah. had that goal up here, did we? Did we want like where Ontario is now? I don't know. I think <laughs> that's gonna go back into like fur trapper yeah. days and stuff, where people were like fighting around this area for like, all right, what do the Canadians get? What do we get? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that was kind of settled at some point. We didn't want to reopen it in any way. Yeah. But that's that's interesting. So the goal for the Confederacy, like post their post victory was that they were going to like, all right, we are a largely agrarian based thing. Like, so we need to kind of become like the North in some way. We yep. need to have a more like trade and yeah. I, futurism in general with the great lakes, like yeah. every so often you'll see these like crazy ideas. People have a weird need to want to build land in Lake Michigan off of Chicago. It pops up every so often. It's always harebrained and it gets discarded You mean on the water, on the water. Um, one of the one of the dailies had an idea back in the seventies to build a floating airport like off of Promontory Point by Hyde Park. We used to have over an airport, there, right on the water. Yeah, there was um, Northerly Island was yeah. Miggs Field. It was like a small craft airport, like private jets, like business execs would fly into there. And then I, I don't know, like a lot of they always say this is a classic Chicago story, Miggs, because basically the mayor didn't want the airport mm -hmm. to be there. So instead of asking for any go ahead, he got some like uh construction vehicles out there and just carved huge x's into it and just like well now no one can have it so we at might as midnight, well right? yeah midnight yeah. yeah um but his whole goal is to turn into a park yeah and that's so like interestingly high-minded because the usual chicago story is like oh they just wanted self-enrichment and they're going to do whatever it took but like it's kind of high-minded of a mayor to be like no this should be a park for the people and i'm going to take like extra judicial ways yeah. to do it yeah i'm kind of like Anti-green space in a way because <laughs> like, you don't like being outside, Nathan. <laughs> no, I know. But like 98% of Chicagoans already live within a 10 minute walk of a yeah, park. Yeah, we're good. You know, we, we, we don't need it, anymore. We kind of got it covered. Yeah. Um, but something that people I also assume don't know because they don't think about the Great Lakes is that the Great Lakes have a bunch of islands on them. And I've been to Beaver Island and that is like permanently populated by like 700 people year round. Yeah. Um, and right next to it, there's Garden Island, which has the largest... A Native American burial ground in the entire country and I went to that and my mom and dad were friends with this um, woman who was the last of her tribe on the island uh, her name was Kiwe Denoque and um, apparently at the time this was the 70s other Native Americans didn't like want to learn their traditions and so she was teaching all of these hippies on this island and my dad just went there and my dad and mom just went there because they were sailors that was how they met how big is this island it's big I mean I have um like walking from one end to the other took like two hours Whoa, or something. Okay. But yeah, it was like really interesting. There's such fascinating histories on each island. Like for Beaver Island, it was originally a Mormon colony. And then Garden Island, it had this very famous Native American medicine woman. She has a Wikipedia page. And then um, one of the other islands was used as part of a pedophile ring. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's like they're so fascinating. And there's other um, islands on the Great Lakes too, like... Um, What's, do you, any of you know this one? It's like car free. Port Washington? Um, it's called Mackinac Island. It's oh, this island in the middle of the Great Lakes. Yeah, so it's Mac, It's pronounced Mackinac or oh, whatever. Sorry. But So that's the big race from Chicago. You'll sail from Chicago to Mackinac. It's called the Mac. And it's a, I, yeah. I hope to do it some time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, with your striped shirt. Yeah, oh, yeah, my Breton striped shirt and me on the open lakes. I thought of a few other reasons why we don't think of this area as associated with water to the same extent we do for yeah. the left and right of the country. I guess the first two reasons are kind of the same, which is that most of our history, it's been simply economic. It's just been a highway. We don't really picture the highways 
like as, as defining culture elsewhere when it's land. Yeah. You know? It's a negative so space. There's that there's, um, because the economy was always quite real here in the Midwest or sorry, the great lakes megalopolis, we, we never really had a boosterism movement cause we didn't need one. So there were never yeah. real estate boosters that were like trying to sell this as some nice place on the water. Um, same, you have like, you know, like LA and Florida, which is just the entire economy originally was constituted on Midwesterners moving there yeah. uh, because it was well-branded. And the third is that it, it freezes. And so it's irrelevant for like half the year. Yeah. I listened to an interview recently with some, some rep from, I think Wisconsin, who's trying to get more funding from whatever federal entity has to like break the ice for the commerce to continue. Yeah. Um, oh. But that it like it just pauses the economy. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of, if you have to stop thinking about something as a relevant highway for like four months out of the year, yeah, it's going uh, to lose, it's... It's lose relevance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But the amount of ice on the Great Lakes is actually like yeah. the lowest ever right now. It's at like mm-hmm. 6%. If you look at, you know, a map comparing it to previous years, it's like, it's a really big sign about climate change. And I actually learned about that a bit from um, a book I read called like The Death and Life of the Great Lakes, which I wrote a lot about in the docket, but I don't, it wasn't that relevant most of the time. But one of the things they talked about is like there are feedback loops going on in the Great Lakes um, where, you know, the cause causes the effect and the effect causes the cause and they're reinforcing. And so basically the Great Lakes store heat more than people realized. Mm -hmm. And then that causes evaporation. And then it's this positive feedback loop and it's not good. Yeah. I guess we should caveat that like, yes, while we're going to be more important in climate change, you know, as Florida becomes inhospitable and all that, we're not like totally insulated from climate change either. There was that big piece in the New York Times a while back, the Mm -hmm. great city versus the great lake of just how like Lake Michigan's levels are becoming more unpredictable and varying more. I think most people I talked to was like, oh yeah, with climate change, the lake's probably going to get lower. Right. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not really like that. It's just become more like wild unpredictable in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. More variation. Mm Mm-hmm. And there gets to that problem where like, you know, Chicago is very proud of reversing the mm-hmm. river. And when we say reversing the river, like it sounds kind of crazy, but it is a short section of it. Like the Chicago River used to very like lazily empty into Lake Michigan. And then we trudged it and like changed it so that it just empties downwards. But when Lake Michigan rises, you get into this weird situation where you sometimes need to like, as the river rises, basically, like you might need to let it pour back in yep. a little bit but that's terrible because we do still use the river for refuse and yep. we're trying to tamp down on that but it's gonna happen and it's it's the variation that really causes subsidence right yeah. and so all of the foundations in like the downtown of chicago and i assume the other cities here are at risk but wasn't it in like the same decade or at least same people who flipped the river's direction as those who like lifted the city the lifting of the city yes they lifted it but then the fire happened. So a lot of that stuff okay. was like, it doesn't really matter. But did, did they put the city down lower after the fire? No, built on top of it. You know, just like the fire you know, destroyed like a third of buildings. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of buildings throughout the city, mostly residential, where like they're sunken below or not like they sank. That's the original. That's the original height of the city. But yeah, those one a lot of buildings to get raised, but there are still some examples where they didn't. Yeah, I think it, so. Yeah, the raising of the city in the 1850s or so, I believe that was, gets confused with the raising of the streets in outer neighborhoods later. So that's mm. like we did a walking tour of Noble Square a while back, and then yeah, like what Nathan's talking about is that like 
what was the first floor for a building is now a basement because the street got raised by the diameter of a sewage pipe, mm-hmm. basically like five feet. It got brought up. And then so people are like, OK, my second floor is now the first floor. <laughs> so we're going to like make a little stair down to the street there. Yeah. I, I bring up those two, the raising the city and the moving the river's direction because you perhaps it's good to map out which cities will survive fine if there's sufficient political will to make big infrastructure investments in which yeah. cities, even if you have the will and the capital are not worth it. Like in Miami or whatnot, nothing will be insurable. Therefore, it's not worth raising the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I weird mean, to think of like insurance as just being this like thing. It's not infrastructure in any sense. You can't see it. You can't be perceived. It's a trust mm-hmm. based thing. It's contracts essentially. Um, but it like governs what you can build mm-hmm. in places. It governs where you can live. It yeah. Just, yeah, it's like, and it's such a weird thing to say like, oh yeah, Great Lakes are going to be important because they're more easily insured. Yes, that's <laughs> what it is. is. It's, it's unglamorous, but yeah. it's true. Yeah, because yeah. we build everything with debt. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it's I don't know. It it's an actuarially rich place. <laughs> <laughs> that's our yeah. resource. Yes. You know, it's not our land. It's our yeah. I think the shit. the um, housing market that's grown the most this year is Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Random because most people don't even think of it as being like a big city. Yeah, it's almost like the butt of jokes in Cleveland, yeah. I feel. But they say that at least they're not Detroit because Detroit yeah. is worse. But Everyone always has that, you know, thank God for Mississippi kind yeah. of deal. There's always someone worse than you. Yeah, for Chicago- Chicagoans, it's usually Indiana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You love to. But yeah, Cle- Cleveland at one point had like 950,000 people. It was close to a million. Mm-hmm. It also has a heavy rail line and two light rail lines. It's like much more, uh, it has the bones of a real city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the best. Cleveland is the best example of a city that I don't want to say lacked the foresight, but they were at least very uh, pragmatic about only using the water for the economy back then, which mm-hmm. resulted in it not being a viable tourism destination at all. Yeah, <laughs> like they have no mm-hmm. beaches, right? They yeah. it's still just kind of dumb. They took the other side of the trade off. Chicago tried to have their cake and eat it too. We yeah. like guaranteed the like public access to the water line, and then that pushed all of our industry into these like <laughs> atrocious places yeah. in yeah. South Chicago. But I guess Cleveland, just the other thing of like no promise. You get no <laughs> uh, yeah. lake. They did build what they call the waterfront line, which was an extension of their green and blue lines that went um, near the lake, near the like stadiums and touristy areas. Mm-hmm. But like they only run it on game days. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's such a flop. They should have built, you know, housing around the stations to it's make a them train? It's light rail. Okay. Yeah. That's so it's like, like le- it's legacy, actually. I, I love it's like that. It's 100 years old. Mm. Yeah. I love it. Like that's the most American way to do it. Like, all right, we'll have public transit, but only for sports, <laughs> <laughs> only for our professional sports leagues. Yeah. No, um, I met someone actually, um, two sisters from Cleveland at this like art event. And I was like, I'd, anytime I meet anyone from a place that's not Chicago, I talk to them about public transit. <laughs> Oftentimes with people from Omaha, I'll be like, oh my gosh, you just moved here. You left at the best moment. You're about to build your streetcar. Even though it's like a joke. But yeah. yeah, these two girls from Cleveland, I was like talking to them and they're like, oh yeah, like the rapid, which was the which is the red line. Yeah, we just take that to games. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, oh, do you ever ride the blue or green lines? And then they were like, what are you talking about? And then I showed them a map of Cleveland with like transit function turned on and they were like what like (laughs) we have all of that they had no idea such an interesting position for like a public transit agency to be in where they they just need to like people don't even know about them (laughs) they need to like do marketing and pr to let people know that it exists Mm -hmm. like in chicago like we're just trying to get running like we know it's there like that's that problem has been solved like it's all just about like how can we restore faith in the consistency of this system yeah 
Do you ride the you ride the L a lot, right? Yeah, I don't. I sold my truck when I was moving here, like on the way north. I sold it in Memphis, so I don't. We don't have a car. We live close to the metro, which is one line, and then the the L, which is another, kind of like two blocks each direction. I love it, but I also really get why people just do not think to do it. Like this morning, there was someone smoking a cig in yeah. the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. should have had a Zen. Uh, that would have really, I think that yeah. would have helped him out. You, should have <laughs> you know, people, we were talking about this of like, do you confront someone smoking on the train? I did, I did recently and it went well. Oh. It was like five teens speaking Spanish who were just kind of like, I think for the hell of it, like they were cheesed up in a group. And I went up and I had a, I translated into English. I have asthma. Please do not smoke. I wouldn't expect you to do that. That sounds like kind of soft, honestly. Uh I wanted to see do how... Do you have was, asthma? No, I don't have I asthma. Figured. But I wanted to see how... You don't would. have an asthma personality. So no, I want... <laughs> thank you. I wanted to see how that would play. And they, like, yeah, they just squ- squashed mm-hmm. it. It was a blunt and then moved on. Yeah. Back to water. <laughs> yeah. So on water, okay, we've addressed, like, the term, the Fresh Coast. We've talked about why we're not associated with water. And now we can address, like, some ideas on, like, how to associate it with water again. And one example I think is really good is Pure Michigan's Michigan's Pure Michigan ad campaign, which started running when I was like a child in high school. And it's the only ad campaign for like a city or a state that I can recall. <laughs> and basically all well, the ads- You don't know the, like, was it Georgia's for Lovers? Never think. heard of it. That was the first like successful state ad campaign. Yeah, but yeah. I'm sure they showed straight couples and I didn't pay attention. <laughs> okay, but um, no, this ad campaign I think is great because it's basically just like people interacting with water in different ways, like on lakes, rivers, with snow. There's even a clip I saw where like there was like a steam train. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's also reinforcing that. It's like all the phases of water. And um, Oh, cute. Yeah. yeah. I, you just picture the people in the little boardroom there, like uh-huh. really seeing like whiteboard up there. Yeah, yeah. like, all right, water, water. What else is water? Yeah. Um, but that actually kind of comes out of like a long growing Michigan. I did a, a light deep dive on this, but they had like a, marketing campaign if you can call it that in the 50s when i think marketing was kind of only <laughs> being figured out and they're like all right yeah. water wonderland that's <laughs> what they call it. that's all they could do and then the 60s they added all right winter water wonderland <laughs> that was their next big development this was on um, the license plates yeah yeah and so yeah they put it on the license plate it's like a very bold blue and then the yellow it's the umish colors and so they had that for a bit and you can now get those license plates again i love a vintage reissue of anything yeah, but Pepsi has the old logos on. I don't really drink soda too much, but I like that they have the 80s all cap. Pepsi mm-hmm. is back. I just think that they're just maybe it's vintage appeal, but I think they're I think they're more clear and legible. I think we've actually gone away from legibility sometimes. Do you all know if these marketing campaigns did much? Apparently, no, because I looked at <laughs> they're winding down the campaign now after like more than a decade. Yeah. I found a news article about it. But for me, it was very effective. Like when I think about Michigan, I think about water immediately. Yeah. Um, and so different fresh coast states, I associate them with different forms of water to varying degrees. Like for Michigan, it's the lakes for Minnesota or sorry, for Michigan, it's the great lakes for Minnesota. It's just generally their lakes. They have a ton of them mm-hmm. for upstate New York, Buffalo, it's snow. Cause they get a ton of it. Cause yeah. they're on the wrong side mm-hmm. of the lake TBH. Like they get a lot of, a lot of lake effect snow. Yeah, for Chicago, I guess I just I do associate with it, but it's a bit like biased because I see the lake like every other day. But yeah. And then I think the ones that have the most they have the farthest way to go are Indiana and Ohio. They like I don't think of them as being on the lakes, but they are and they can do something about that. Yeah. 
I was once in like small town Indiana visiting a friend. Um, his dad was like a stockbroker in Chicago and then got West Nile virus <laughs> and like completely changed his outlook. He's just retired, took his money and just like got more involved in his kids' lives. But then since he's an empty nester, he's always looking for a hustle. So he's moved to small town Indiana and become a landlord. And one of the things they like sell this area on it is it's the sunset is so late there mm -hmm. because of their position in the time zone. He's like, sunsets at 930 sometimes. You can just be out there grilling all day. And I'm like, that's such a weird asset. It's like our I mean, placement. for the type of people though, that probably want to move there, that's a good that's a good pitch. Mm -hmm. He's just outside of um, what is it? Notre Dame. Yeah. You know? And so they kind of there's a little bit of economic cashment from there and there's great old housing stock. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned um legacy infrastructure. I think you said it about trains earlier. It's funny that like if you're thinking of water, you're thinking of Michigan. I think most people in a focus group in much of America would think of Flint. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the legacy infrastructure that's... there being like lead pipes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wrote that in the docket how like they're honest in those commercials by depicting it as water for recreation. Yeah. Because their cities have very bad infrastructure for water. Like not just Flint, like cities like Kalamazoo, they have boil notices, which are where they tell yeah. you to boil the water before you use it. But like that doesn't really work. They pretty much only use the water for like showering or their lawn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had that in New Orleans all the time and it's getting more and more frequent. So it partly has to do with legacy infrastructure. It also has to do with the... Apparently, the sea level rising such that like the salt water creeps up the river more than it used to, oh. which leads to like an imbalance in the pressure, which leads to the pipes being unable to deliver water without E. coli. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah, it's about the knock on effect. Yeah. Over there. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. um, the poop water thing reminds me of like so Chicago's river, often just like a, you know, industrial backwater. Now it's being rehabilitated. And we have a friend. On the who lives on the river and goes swimming in it all the time mm. but he always he always checks there's a not maintained by a government entity or anything but by the friends of the chicago river they test for poop mm -hmm. every day post on a twitter account it's just like good to swim good mm -hmm. conditions and like just the chancing of that you yeah. know like <laughs> we're, we're we're getting there everywhere like um a lot of the cities in europe that deindustrialize and thinking mm -hmm. of paris especially are trying to clean the water the rivers enough to swim in yeah. but it to do that would mean a, a full victory in killing all factories, yeah. which is uh, obviously intention with all of the like, how do we, you know, make this area vibrant again, middle class jobs, yada, yada. Yeah. If we have NEPA and all the little other EPA policies that keep it beautiful and keep it a consumption good for tourists, you also cannot keep it as an economic good. Yeah, we want to have our cake and eat it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like, though, as much as I do wish that like Chicago and other Rust Belt cities had an industrial base again. The way that factories seem to set themselves up is like very car centric. Like people aren't going to walk to the factory. <laughs> well, they used to, you know, know back in like, the day or take the train. Like there was a train station in the, the packing yards of Chicago. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard for me to imagine that. But yeah, no, it does feel like, like, oh, factories have a parking lot. You like in a classic, like, this is what zoning was built for originally. is like, oh, you don't want to live next to a factory. You have to, like, increase yeah. that space. Yep. We, we will not get factories again. Yeah, I don't yeah. think. Uh, that, I forget the book, the, the one of the ones I sent in here yesterday, called the, the Henry Ford model of the factory, a knowledge-destroying idea. <laughs> <laughs> because the factories, like, when you say we used to, those were largely, like, high-skill, uh, low amount of workers artisan style going in and building things. Yeah. Uh, but when you get to the 
high scale, like low knowledge required. You can have immigrants come in and do the factory jobs. You do not want that in a city because you need massive footage. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I just, I don't think we'll get factories again here because we don't really want to cultivate low skill jobs. No one's going to do that. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world with automation, AI and UBI, you know, we could maybe occupy our time with instead of fake email jobs, like we all just become craftsmen. Yeah. An Etsy soap economy. Back yeah. to, you know, everyone's just making artisanal candles and soaps. Back to, yeah. back to the point of like, maybe our biggest boon is being insurable. Um, as we automate away most factories to where you don't even need the lights on most of the time. So the reason that we deindustrialized largely is because we went to lower labor cost areas. If labor is a much lower share of the cost for modern factories, they're just going to fly to the new regions that you can ensure the build of the factories. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, yeah. The capital costs the same in Mississippi or here, except you can insure it more easily here. Yeah. So that's yeah. my only reason for optimism. It's not going to lead to more jobs, just mm -hmm. economic. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So soon, I think we should get into the section on like what cities we think will rebound the most as for like climate refugees. But we should talk about the climate refugee thing a bit more. So mm -hmm. when I talk to casual conversation with pretty much everyone that lives here, including like normie relatives in the suburbs, like they'll just say like, oh, yes, you know, we have no natural disasters. And with climate change, there'll be a lot of people here one day. It's like this prophecy that I bet <laughs> people on the coast don't even aware like, oh, my children are going to end up mm -hmm. in Milwaukee. Like, they have no idea what's about to happen. But, um, yeah, I feel like you know, you seem to know, like, a lot about that in the docket. Um, where do you start on this? Is there a specific question? I mean, we can think about it in different ways, like tipping points, what states are most likely to migrate up here. Who's going to come first? Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. like, uh, my, my, my biggest thing when I'm, you know, like, trying to dumb down my argument, Thanksgiving-style conversations mm -hmm. Uh, I say that the movements will not happen because it is like extremely hot where you need a snorkel to live in New Orleans. Yeah. The real cause of movement is going to be the variability rather than the like step function change in mm -hmm. how hot it is or how wet it is. It's going to be the increase of storms. It's going to be uh, uninsurability. So when you think of it like that, I don't really know how to say this simply. So you're saying that like it's not going to be like, oh, every day is a little bit too hot for me. I'm going to move. It's going to be like like the storms are happening too frequently. Like I can't plan yeah, around exactly this. It's that. becoming untenable. I'm thinking more. It's going to be isolated incidents yes. are going to drive people out, not general habitability. I'm thinking, I mean, so a lot of my work is in Florida where we are helping develop housing. And the biggest issue there is that the insurance companies are simply leaving. When Aren't you cannot, governments trying to force them to stay? Isn't that, I was like reading like a something state government. about that. Force. It's, there's, a, there's an insurer of last resort in every state. And every time that, you know, State Farm leaves a state, the state entity has to absorb the coverage for those houses. It's now in Louisiana and Florida. Those are the states I'm aware of, but there are probably more. They're holding the bag for all of the highest risk houses. And it's state coffers, which means yeah. one big storm could bankrupt a state pretty soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the, the biggest thing there is you can't develop new housing if you cannot insure the housing because you can't mm -hmm. sell it because mm -hmm. obviously it's get a mortgage or anything mm -hmm. like that. You need insurance. It's the first step. Yeah. And so I think that there's going to be... I don't know if it's going to start with affordability crisis because you can't build more housing or what, but that's step one. Yeah. I really, I, I really, the, the climate migration thing, I'm, I'm still confused about if we don't think there will be many job, much job growth here at the lower skill level, I'm having a hard time imagining like a ton of migrants in the current style moving up here. What are they going mm -hmm. to do? My dream would be that they're all going to join this like 
you know, burgeoning housing building movement where we're all just going to be, you know, building tons of housing to make up for the lack of that we've yeah. done in the past. But you can't have an entire economy just built on so construction labor. My very pessimistic view, and I don't know if this will happen, but it's just kind of the worst case, is that all of the high risk but very pleasurable cities, uh, Miami is the best example, end up becoming more and more like Miami, where it's an incredibly Latin style, uh, very rich or very poor service economy based. Yeah. And then the Heartland and the Great Lakes Megalopolis continues doing real economy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, like a kind of third world luxury in yes. Miami where it's like I have a, I have a beautiful house and I have 10 foot walls and yep. full time security. Kind of yeah. Yeah. thing. And, and that, that doesn't really lead to much population growth. You just need as many as many migrants to be Staff, a servant to class. Be, yeah, to yeah, be yeah. waiters. It's, I, don't, yeah. I, I hate the idea of a city being built around that. It's not like how they're supposed to be on a very primal level to me. Like, yep. There can't be that level. Of, that makes that me think about... Um, yeah, I once read this article called The Brazilianification of the World. Yeah. And it's on sort of how in the midst of like the confusion and tumultuousness of the past few years, like the unpredictability of the economy... And then like seemingly being in a recession when we're not Mm -hmm. and just like the collapse of people's standard of living. And it's like we, along with many other countries, are starting to resemble Brazil because their economy has just been like always on the up. And then they have a lost decade. It's like back and forth. There's an official term I'm blanking on right now, but for the favela style urban development or like suburban developments happening in Texas a lot, uh, uh, this one developer bought up. <clears throat> swath of land north of one of the big cities and are they called like confederate yes uh, yes something like Federados? something like that okay yeah um but this this one developer is it's really controversial now but i think he's going to get it done he's building a few hundred homes that are like basically tiny homes quite shitty but still single family in a weird way like yeah. american dream but very yeah, the shrunken style. american yeah, dream yeah. yeah but only for migrants who cannot get proper mortgage and it's all going to be this new mode of mortgage where it's like Proof of income, but nothing else. That is so interesting to me. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I listened to this podcast a while back of like a hundred things that changed the modern economy. And a lot of it is like physical, you know, devices and stuff. But other things are just like the LLC. Yep. The invention of the LLC, like uh, let so much else happen. And I think the invention of a new type of mortgage like that could really spur things on for mm-hmm. people who are like, yeah, I'm just picturing like, yeah, the Mexican contractors and stuff who are getting tons in, yep. you know, like savings, not really spoken for right now. But like, I think that's very American in that sense. Like, oh, I, I just got here. I'm making a lot of money. Time is short. Like, <laughs> what can you get me into right now? Like, yeah. And then so we talked about this in our like legalized slums episode and stuff. But this sounds like it's like a bare minimum housing. Mm-hmm. But then people can build onto it incrementally as needed. I imagine it's a decent little slim slice of land. And you buy the current house, but you can always extend it if you're crafty enough. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still thinking about the, the climate migration stuff is like if you take my scenario to be true, where it ends up with the, the, the Sun Belt is largely um, vast swaths of retirement homes and then Miami style pleasure places. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that as leading to population growth much. Yeah, I think that like the population, yeah. <laughs> I think the population itself will keep flowing up here. Well, well one thing you're not addressing is just like businesses can move yeah some have a lot of investment that is difficult to move but i feel like ultimately they would like the tesla factory i think that they built in arizona that would take a lot to move it but eventually they might have to and i like so i think that businesses will move with the population eventually given how extreme the circumstances might be that's what i meant earlier when i said insurability okay um obviously everything is built with debt to get debt you need it to be insurable 
pretty soon if, if like, for example, in Arizona, if you cannot, I, I'm just an example, but like, if you cannot prove that you would meet OSHA guidelines because the factory would be too hot or you can't get water on site, yeah, you're mm-hmm. not going to build a factory there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's plenty of space too with how much info development could be built in these like Rust Belt cities, you know, like Detroit could easily fit another 2 million people in it again. We could easily fit a million or two. So I do think that like that should be in the future and I hope it will. But yeah, do you want to place bets now and like what places you think will grow the most? My bets on Buffalo based on just listening to one episode of the upzone podcast where they had some incremental developers from Buffalo out there. And it was like a lot of people from big cities and stuff who just like, I don't know, they looked at how high the lowest rung of property ownership is in places like even in Chicago known for our like, you know, like relatively affordable housing and stuff. And they just said, screw it. We're going to Buffalo. I can get like an old industrial building or something. And, and also there's just not a lot in the way bureaucracy wise in Buffalo. Like it, because it has rusted so extensively, like there's not this yeah. hardened class of like rich NIMBY Buffaloites. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a few, but yeah, yeah. there's yeah. less in the way. So these people are just able to like not run roughshod over <laughs> development wise, but they're just able to kind of like I don't know, spread their wings. A there's, bit. there's this concept in urbanism called pink zones, which maybe should be renamed to something else. But it's basically the cities that are uh, have good bones, but they're so dead that there's no red tape anymore. So it's pink. Yeah. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. uh, so like it's sun faded. Yeah. <laughs> and so like Detroit's the best example, but Buffalo's good too, where you can, it's so starved for growth that you can either not get noticed if you do something outside of the zoning <laughs> law or they'll just allow it because you can you like, know. Hey, like the city is grateful yeah, enough. They're exactly. just like, Hey, someone's doing something. Yes. We'll, you know, remove your parking minimums or yeah. something. But no, I'm, yes. What, what cities up here were most bullish about. I I'm kind of only bullish about Chicago and Chicago becoming a megalopolis. I think that the the economy will keep shifting more and more to winner take all where basically if you're not in a the only cities that will grow are significantly are those where you can get a lot of benefits to being in person a lot of benefits to uh kind of the whole like knowledge class where you need to interact and have ideas circulate i don't think that there will be much more of a trend of like buffalo because of home ownership being cheaper or stuff because also, it doesn't translate <laughs> well like there's so many vehicles for storing your wealth besides homes these days mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that there's going to be this massive wave of, mm-hmm. of American dream style homeownership causing people to move to Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. One of my clients, wealthy guy, not from the U S actually came over from Europe, raising his kids here. Um, he just says that he doesn't see his house in Chicago as like an investment. He yeah. just sees it as a, pr- a price of entry yeah. to participate in the economy. He brought a very kind of European look to it. He's like, no, like, my nest egg is my savings, you know, like as it kind of should yeah. be in my mind. Like, yep. you know, that's what I'm doing. Like, this is just, this is my slice of Chicago so I can participate in the economy here and, you know, take my kids to school. And like, this is just my life. It's yep. he, for a very financial guy is very definancialized in terms of yep. his looking at uh, home ownership. This is not exactly related to climate stuff, but there's a reason that, um, all the beautiful small buildings. Imagine like a two flat that used to house some carpenter shop that has his name in stone above it. Ah, a lot of that yeah, in Chicago. That's because when those were built, there was like, <clears throat> there was no Vanguard ETF to put your money in. There was no like Roth or yeah, anything like yeah. that. And so you'd plow all of your money that you made from work into physical world. Yeah. That's just not going to happen again. And so this whole trend of like, yeah, I have some excess cash. I'm going to put it into a home. I, I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therefore, Chicago. 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's good that you're boosting our city. I do think it will benefit if this happens. I don't think it's a good thing for so much power to be concentrated in one place. I'm like a bit of an anti-monopolist and I believe concentrated power is generally a bad thing for society, as much as Chicago happens to benefit from it. But for me, I would put my bets on Detroit first, largely because they're about to institute a land value tax. And also from what I know and what I've seen, they are on the up already. Mm-hmm. So I do think they've, they're past their low point. Mm-hmm. And then other than that, though, I do think that like Cleveland should have a lot of potential just because of its public transit network. And also like it's cheap still to like all of these mm-hmm. places. But I think that, okay, I'm kind of giving three answers. Like what I think is going to under the technical definition of the fresh coast, what I think ideally would, yep. which is Cleveland. And then, but I do think honestly, Minneapolis, Minneapolis is yeah. likely to reach a million first. Although Columbus, Ohio <laughs> probably will meet, reach a million before they do, but they're just like not a real city. <laughs> they, um, they're like a college town slash the state capital places like that, where it's like the biggest city in By the default. state yeah, or yeah, the, yeah. is like the capital slash a college town. I, I'm not a fan of that. But anyways, I do think that Minneapolis will hopefully reach a million along with Chicago at some point because they have a lot of capital. They're like a very wealthy city. And I do think that they will draw in more people. But by winner take all uh, that trend in the economy, I mean, let me give an example of like like every small town used to have a local banker, a local hardware shop, everything Mm -hmm. like that. You don't need those anymore. And like it's just not going to come back. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see anything smaller than Chicago or Minneapolis growing because, uh, yeah, no small Mm -hmm. businesses. Don't you believe in the bottom-up revolution, though? You know, don't you think we have a little bit of? Small yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not even that? just. It's not yeah, even just like an ideal. Like I think small businesses are cool. Actually, I happen to think small business owners are kind of snakes that interfere in local politics. Um, <laughs> but no, they're more efficient. Like they make things cheaper. Like and having a more complex economy with less players would yep. be better. Like for the shipping crisis that happened with supply chains, like. All of those big ports could not operate. The smaller ones started to take in more ships, and then that alleviated the problem. And like systems that are big are more likely to fail. Um, I think that is the case for service industries, but not for goods. Tokyo is so cute because all the little small businesses are just like giving you sake and sushi, but the large businesses, the conglomerates, are producing the goods. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that those will keep remaining headquartered in Minneapolis and here, mm-hmm. Chicago, but. There might be some bottom-up revolution in Buffalo and whatnot, but it's going to be mm-hmm. cute cafes. That's it. Yeah. That's what I was saying, like the Etsy soap economy. And this is, <laughs> this is unfortunately back to that dystopian like like pleasure and service economy where those will flourish, but only because elites can locate anywhere and be served. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, what was your answer, though? What what cities do you boost? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd boost Buffalo, definitely. Oh, Minneapolis, St. Right. Paul. Um, I think, yeah, there's something there. I don't know. It's very cute. They have like very good bike infrastructure and they're really working on that despite like having Minnesota winters. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that actually can. I think people can toughen up over time. I mean, people bike in uh, Norway yeah. and stuff like that. Like I but not not that bike infrastructure can like cause a great revolution in a city. I think it is sometimes just a blow off valve for traffic. If your traffic is so bad, like I don't know, driving around like Wicker Park and stuff, you'll see very well to do families with $8,000 e-bikes and like 
they're on those not out of like a love for you know environmental like environmentally friendly and sustainable transport they're just because they're skipping all the traffic to take their kids to school mm-hmm. and then they just go back and work from home for you know <laughs> yeah online work but um i got a, a few other points i don't know how long these go normally so i want to kind of blast through these oh ones. yeah so we've kind of wrapped up the idea of the fresh coast you have a bunch of interesting points yeah. you wrote at the bottom of the docket mm-hmm. we can go through those we can do this like rapid fire yeah. uh, however you want uh one is nuclear energy sovereignty, which is actually a really big deal. Uh, Illinois makes what percent of its energy by nukes? Like 50% or something? It's the second most in the country after South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So that's huge, especially if there's more and more unpredictability, mm-hmm. air cut style, like like Texas style, but mm-hmm. in other places of the country. Yeah. Texas style, but actually working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I, before the whole like Texas energy crisis, I had a friend who was so proud. He was a Canadian Texan guy. He seemed like a perfect split of those characteristics. But he was like, you know, we have the only independent energy grid. So if the rest of the country fucks up, we're going to be good. Yeah, dude. And then the second everything went to shit, yeah. I just like called him, texted him everything just to lightly rub it in his face yeah. of like, I'm doing fine over yeah. here. My family in Texas is boiling their water. Right. And all that. <laughs> Another thing that's been on my mind is that so there's this already like I think it was set up in 08 with Bush and Bogloyevich, which is pretty funny. The Great oh, Lakes yeah. Compact, which is. All the states that have some sort of legal say. So I think it's eight American and maybe what province in Canada? Two Canadian ones. Yeah, yeah. I read about that a bit and yeah. the the death and life of the Great Lakes. I didn't realize this. It was actually the most helpful thing that I read in that whole book, but just how complex it would be and basically impossible for any state to ever get water from the Great Lakes because they've only ever granted like three exceptions yeah. to um, places outside of the Great Lakes Basin to pipe in water but then they have to pipe it back yep. and they've only even granted that to three locations People like loan water to people mm-hmm. yeah like they have to pipe it back. One, yeah, of, one of them i know is cincinnati and then waukesha which yes. i'm going to say incorrectly <laughs> on purpose yeah waukesha they um they actually had radioactive drinking water yeah. even though they were like less than i don't know how many miles but they were pretty close to the they lakes were two miles away from technical catchment yeah and they weren't allowed to like get it until maybe a year ago yeah. and they were drinking radioactive water, but the great lakes compact was not letting them access the lakes. Um, So I'm bringing this up because there's this counter argument that people say where it's like, what good is your water here? Because won't the feds just step in and force you to grow almonds in Arizona? Um, (laughs) And I'm thinking, no, I think the compact might actually have some real, some real teeth. Um, I'm really interested in how the border crisis right now is bringing out a new state's rights era. So like Texas and all the other red states are stepping in and saying, we have a right to defend ourselves, Mm -hmm. uh, contra the rules of the feds. That's setting a cool precedent for the Great Lakes Compact states to fight against the feds if they step in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to do a Civil War episode in like two months (laughs) once the A24 Civil War movie comes out. Um, I actually want to say this really quick just because I've been thinking, okay, I can actually figure out what's going on with the A24 map. I want to make a prediction here so that I'm right when I watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Okay, so within it, there's like the Western Alliance. There's Mm -hmm. the like Miami Union or something. There's like the Loyalist states. And then um, both California and Texas secede together, which people, people look at this map and they're like, None of this makes sense, but I think I have predictions. So what happens probably first is California and Texas to see together as the opposite sides Mm -hmm. of the political binary. Then in the Western front or whatever the Western states are, the reason that Seattle and Washington join that is due to force. The crazy people in the West who are all gun enthusiasts, they take it over. That wasn't voluntary. 
the Miami cluster is all voluntary. People look at that and they say it makes the most sense because it's mm-hmm. basically just the deep south. And then the loyalist states are who's left over. But that's my prediction as to why the map looks like that. Oh, My prediction for... I, I didn't know what the map looked like until you just described it, but <laughs> I, I imagine the producers just are getting told to make an extremely apolitical movie about a very political topic, and so they have ah. to choose something that makes no sense. Oh, as opposed to actually making any assessments on rifle. the state of the culture. Yeah. 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 Oh. No, to me, I can see that happening. But yeah, like I've always thought that like secession would be a very slow legal process. The movie presents it as being spur of the moment and incredibly violent, mm-hmm. but I've always thought that it would involve like sanctions and ignoring federal yeah. guidelines yeah. and it would be like more like a cold war rather than a real war mm-hmm. yeah i've always a, been of that mind too where it just becomes very like weird and complicated yes. when like competing state rules about like uh, even stuff like abortion you know like traveling across state lines for abortions because now they're trying to make laws to like stop people to do that it's just gonna become a very complicated bureaucratic kind of like weird cold war with some places in the middle in terms of observancy kind of like in covid when you're traveling outside of chicago and it's just like there was a weird mix of rules like if you were in a suburb outside of chicago it would feel sometimes a little bit like indiana where they were very loose but then a little bit like chicago like it's just gray areas yeah with you said it take a while with flare-ups though like bloody kansas was in the 1850s right Mm -hmm. and then it took another 15 years to actually get rolling yeah another fun point i don't even know if this is like if this will lead to much discussion, but James Kunstler, that cute early new urbanist who wrote Geography of Nowhere and was very you know important 90s to the aughts of you know anti-car and all that stuff, also happened just for fun to write a sci-fi book about the future of America where he predicted that the role of water transport would pick up again. And so like whatever, like Troy, New York would be really prominent because it's canal location. Oh man, yeah. they'd love that. Love, <laughs> Troy, yeah. New York, yeah. <laughs> rise yeah. again. But I love if this podcast is somewhat urbanist and also somewhat future forward, that little overlap of him. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the reasons why we don't have as much shipping along water as the Jones Act, I'm sure you both know about that. No. No, Maybe it's, it's basically me. like there's a lot of rules with it. People who are market fundamentalists really hate it, but it was a protectionist law that was meant to ensure that shipping and ships were still produced in the United States. But then because of offshoring, we just don't want to. And we've been making up excuses for like decades, like, no, we'll repeal this law eventually. We don't have to make any ships. But yeah, if we just produce them here, it would we'd probably use our like canals more and all of this legacy water infrastructure. The, the thing is, is like... It's too small, all the canals. That's the thing is like, but the big shipping... It doesn't work. It's like, I mean, even with the Red Sea crisis right now, if there were a bunch of smaller ships, more would get by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the fact mm-hmm. that like we only have a few big ones per day, it's, it's like and they're easy system. to hit. Yeah. It's like, it's not a good system. A lot of that is actually because of the economics of using oil as the machine power. Yeah. Um, if we move beyond that to whatever, I don't know, battery or hydrogen or something or nukes on every tanker, um, that might lead to the ships getting smaller because currently they're optimized just to like, Run. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that would work. Also, they couldn't they just expand the St. Lawrence Canal to be like the Panama? St. Lawrence Canal. That's um, what gets everything yeah. into the Great Lakes. No, I was reading about that in the or the life and death of the Great Lakes. Yeah. Um, but no, they were saying about how the St. Lawrence Canal, which is like the part that connects to the ocean, they did a dredging thing to make it deeper at one point. And then they removed like hard rock. Mm-hmm. And then once the hard rock was removed more like sedimentary stuff underneath started to go away as well. So it became bigger than they intended. Oh. And that's been causing a lot of, um, Shit. that's been causing the Great Lakes level to go down. Yeah. 
Although they think it's stable at this point, but mm-hmm. yeah. I will say on shipbuilding and stuff, there was a new lake freighter built and it would went into commission in 2022. And that was the first new one since 1983. So based who's to say, you know, maybe we're going to reach yeah. this futuristic great lakes trading renaissance. Yeah. Um, Another contrarian point I want to get your takes on. You, you all were like making predictions about which cities will boom in the great lakes megalopolis. And you both said little cute cities that have legacy <laughs> infrastructure. I'm concerned that that legacy infrastructure is basically uh, at or below like replacement cost because it's so mm-hmm. shitty. Flint, Michigan, lead pipes, yada, yada. Yeah. And so like there's not much to move into. It's effectively a new city with stuff you have to remove. Yeah. yeah. No, that's it, a, if that's, a place is overserved yeah. by its infrastructure. It's yeah. just actually a cost. Yeah. They say that about Detroit where it's like the water pipes should be serving double the population. Mm-hmm. But those water pipes are basically useless. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also... I mean, believe it or not, Detroit is more compact than like Phoenix, Arizona and a lot of newer really? cities. And like they're wasting less water because I think like point. Phoenix has a fourth of the population of New York City or something like that. But they use four times more water just because everything's spread out. It leaks everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it, it wastes it. So like Detroit as a more compact city still has a shot in that sure. way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that with that question, um, one of you would have said that you bet on like new cities more than old ones. Yes. I was going to guess that one of us took that point, but no, I, that's harder to predict. It's kind of impossible. I love new cities. I'm thinking of like the, the cul-de-sac development in Tempe, yeah. but oh, yeah. I think that those, I mean, as cul-de-sac examples, they're going to rely, no matter how much they claim to be libertarian on infrastructure, cul-de-sac went up right next to the new public transit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who don't know, like cul-de-sac is this like very like dense, not car oriented uh, development in Tempe, Arizona. Outside of Phoenix. Um, yeah, outside of Phoenix, yeah. It's very pretty. It looks like Mediterranean, white, Santorini kind of yeah. vibes. And they have a coffee shop, a grocery store, and they're close to a light rail line. And you get like a rentable e-scooter when you move there. <laughs> and like, yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I, I think it's very cool, but it is it is like an adaption to knowledge economy kind it, of stuff. Exactly that. And it's also like this trend of network states, which deserves its own podcast, but it's basically those those sovereign states that attract a lot of nomadic elites to build a new city. Yeah. Cul-de-sac is one of the earliest examples, but there are also attempts in like Nicaragua and whatnot. All of those rely on the government providing you those basic goods still. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I really, I'm not that bullish on new cities. Yeah. It's like the strong towns thing. It's like you need to build from the ground up, have fundamentals, large scale investments oftentimes don't pan out because you need fundamentals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, new city stuff. I was listening to a Strong Towns episode where uh, Chuck Marone, like founder of Strong Towns, was once reached out to by some Orthodox Jews mm-hmm. who wanted to just buy some land in Kansas and start uh, a city from scratch. And Chuck said that was the one case that probably could have worked mm-hmm. for a new city from scratch, but just because of like the high level of trust in that community Related as well. That. They're all bound by like a covenant with God yeah. <laughs> to not yeah. screw each other over. Exactly <laughs> on that point, related cities. Um, Andres Duani, who started the New urbanism movement, or he's one of the starters of it. Um, he is obsessed with the Mormons. He says that <laughs> like they are the best example of founding new cities. They they built thousands. Yeah. Uh, Nauvoo, yeah. Illinois, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. all those. Yeah, but basically, you need that megalomaniacal like motivation yeah. beyond just uh, oh, I can get coffee within a walking distance. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It's you have to believe that like this is securing your place in the afterlife. That yeah. is the motivation that like makes cities from scratch. Yeah. So another, in, reason, especially in very harsh environments, yeah. as the Mormons were eventually when they were kicked further and further west. Another reason to not be that bullish about new cities, just because we're not very religious. 
Yeah, you know, just I mean, I, I do think that like you can build a slow a city slowly, naturally over time of like out of self-interested people, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. there's just enough that like people can kind of claw out their own and eventually kind of benefit others yeah. through self-interest. But I think a faster way to do it is by people all reading the same religious books with an organizing <laughs> principle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Another point I wanted to bring up is the say them at the same time. The the term that you brought up, Nathan, called like the drought belt. And layer yeah. that on to the idea of the paper belt, which is basically you have the East Coast that's screwed, and then you also have much of the Sun Belt that is screwed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like there are like a lot of different a lot of different belts, and I love every single one that I hear about. Like, have you ever heard of the Jello belt? No, Mormons. Mormons. Jello, they, they eat a lot Jello. of Jello because they eat a lot of sugar because they can't. No, they, they just love Jello. It's like a very like. No, they do like sugar. Like they um, drink dirty sodas. Oh yeah, because <laughs> they can't drink alcohol. Yeah, they so just, the one thing they can't have is sugar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the, the, I, I love hearing about any belt, even if you just made it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, we should probably wrap up now. Yeah. Thank you for coming mm-hmm. on, David. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, you might be a future guest. You're welcome again because mm-hmm. you, you have a really great urbanist perspective. So yeah. thank you for mm-hmm. coming. Definitely one of our more urban episodes. I hope the people who come for the f- fashion episodes like also enjoy this stuff. I don't know. Also, I know people listening outside the U.S. I know we're tossing out a lot of like not just big cities, but like very small cities. Um, but yeah, there's a lot going on here other than just our main capital type of cities. Okay. Yeah, I have one more point, though. I want a cultural take here, which is that like it feels like Chicago and all the other Midwestern Great Lakes megalopolis cities used to have a more prominent role in culture. Yeah, like they're like a lot of big movies just randomly used to have Chicago as the locus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't really happen much. I'm thinking like The Fugitive and Home Alone and whatnot. And even like sitcoms and yeah. stuff, yeah. too. Like it would just be like a classic backdrop. So, like, oh, you know, like at what point if our trends play out as we said they might, mm-hmm. at what point would that kick back in where movies are just randomly set here i don't know you, get, you still got to give chicago some credit like drill music has like made its way over to like england and now there's like london drill music so mm-hmm. like chicago is still culturally exporting but as but a that's, cultural that's, backdrop wait, there, so that's much. the that's a great example of chicago producing but not getting noticed oh yeah this, someone else is eating our lunch yeah. basically yeah my opinion is just that like concentrated power has led to studio executives only thinking of like a few locales because the industry is located in one place. Like I know that like it's always been centered in Hollywood, but I know that like Chicago is trying to do what it can to like increase the number of films and movies that are, that are filmed here. Like um, in Avondale, there's like the field studio, which is the former Marshall fields warehouse. And that's been turned into like a massive uh, space for film and video production but the number of like things that are filmed here have has been going up over the past like few years. I think you don't watch enough normie content. Really, tons of people tune in for Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. I don't know what those are. The, yeah, these are procedurals that are like made the bear. in Chicago. Uh, the Bear. Oh shit. Yeah, there yeah. you go. This is just a bad question, though. No, 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 no. It just shows that like it's just I guess maybe not in the stuff you watch. Yeah. But yeah, we're getting some notice. But yeah, the Bear uh, kind of craze annoys me lightly. There was no water in that, was there? In the Bear, I. I think it, I'm trying to think if they have, I don't know. I watched like three episodes and got kind of like pissed watching it. I didn't really like it. Mm. Not my, not my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shameless too, I guess. But no, yeah. F- what it would take is for the film industry to uh, become like less concentrated. That's what I think we'll do it. We can't just like whine and then expect them to like film <laughs> stuff here. Um, but the, in- the investments in the film industry, I think will help a bit. You can cut this because we're at this point totally unrelated. But if there is a civil war and it ends up different, like fractalized countries, that would spur that a lot. Remember, Hollywood only got oh, founded yeah. because 
IP, intellectual property, was not fought. Uh, Edison had a lot of rights to Hollywood equipment, but oh, in, yeah. in New York. And so mm-hmm. they all went out as far away as possible. Yeah. So yeah. if Because Chicago yeah. did have a movie industry, but we were like beholden to New York's yep. like sway, basically. Like, oh, we're not going to yeah. violate that with California. And there was a brief period where Kansas had like a bustling film industry. Oh, cute. Yeah. Okay. But thank you for coming. Again, if you start to refer to the Midwest as the Fresh Coast, we'll appreciate you. Um, also, if you live in the other part of the Midwest, heartland is a really cool word. And thank you for listening this week. Yeah, see you in 40 years when these terms play out. (laughs) Have a good one. Yeah, thank you. Bye.